0: Hi there, thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. And uh, taste of heaven, isn't it? I believe so. Right Turn this morning to Exodus 20, and uh, continuing in Exodus in the broader context, but today concluding the Ten Commandments. And so I thought it would be good to read all of the commandments again this morning. So follow with me in your Bible, and we'll pick it up from the beginning of the chapter. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, Out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers, On it you shall not do any work, you or your son, your daughters, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, sojourn, and who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and this is the one we're going to do this morning, verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's, so just so far. And so, Lord, as we come this morning, indeed, we thank you that we can sing with great delight and exuberance, It is well with my soul. But, Lord, we know that even today a challenge may come. We know that temptation will be before us in this coming week. And so we pray that as we look to your word, Lord, that you would continue to feed us and sustain us and strengthen us, that we may continue to sing even to the end of our days, It is well with my soul. And so to us this morning, Lord, we, we ask your gracious hand of mercy in, uh, help us to learn to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I belong to the cult of the next thing. Now I didn't say that i 'm speaking on behalf of someone else, a pastor who confessed this to his congregation and i 'm going to quote what he went on to say after saying that i'm uh, belonging to the cult of the next thing. He says it is a dangerously easy it is dangerously easy to get enlisted. it happens by default, not by choosing the cult but failing to resist it. The cult of the next thing is consumerism, but it 's cost in religious terms then he elaborates elaborates he says it has its own litany of words more you deserve it new faster cleaner brighter it has its own deep rooted liturgy charge it instant credit no down payment deferred payment no interest for three months it even has its own preachers and evangelists and prophets and apostles, men and celebrity sponsors. It has, of course, its own shrines and chapels and temples and makers. What are they? Malls, superstores, club warehouses. It has its own sacraments, credit and debit cards. It has its own ecstatic experience, the spending spree. Kinda of close to the bone, isn't it? The cult of the next thing, the central message proclaims, and this, this is the, this is why I shared this. Crave and spend for the kingdom of stuff is here. Crave and spend for the kingdom of stuff is here. Now, while it's true, Jesus, Jesus warned us, uh, it's a passage we, 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 we know so well, uh, he said in Luke chapter 12 verse 15, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. We, we know that, we hear that. But isn't it true that many of us at many times, at least to some extent, believe that life does consist in the abundance of our possessions, in the abundance of what we own. And so this morning I do want to ask, is it an exaggeration to say that we are often trying to get more for less and often busy spending but never satisfied? That's where we're going to go this morning. This 10th commandment identifying what I've called this morning in my first point, the sin of discontent. Not being satisfied, not uh, happy with our circumstances as they are in the present, so of course I need to quote uh, the old theologian Augustine and uh, he says to covet is to desire more than enough and then he goes on and and, and and their wonderful wisdom in the Proverbs he says it is to be like the two daughters of the leech you ever read of the two daughters of the leech Proverbs chapter 30 verse 15. The leech has two daughters, give and give. So the word covet, it literally means to pant, to pant after something. Now when I read that and I was looking at the meaning of the word, the the, the picture that came into my mind is I thought, well, it might be helpful to visualize a male dog chasing your neighbor's female dog on heat. I, know that's quite a, I don't know if it's a crude illustration, but I think it, it makes the point. It's this, this unrelenting craving, this, this yearning, this hankering after something that belongs to someone else. So we covet when we set our hearts on anything that is not rightfully ours. It's an excessive, uncontrolled, selfish desire for something more. Having said that, having said that, and I want you to start from the right kind of base this morning, it does not negate the fact we have legitimate God-given desires. So you sit here this morning, I'm not wanting you to think or to leave here that you are not supposed to desire anything. God has made you as a human being in His image, and there are certain characteristics that you have as a person and certain realities and feelings that you have. You have these God-given desires. I've put a couple of them down here. Uh, first of all, the desire to acquire. To, to have things. And, and, uh, like bees. But, but we, far more important than bees. But, but bees have the desire to store honey. Uh, birds have the desire to collect straw. And so God has given us the desire to acquire things that are connected to our life, our survival. We, we we preserve our lives and and to preserve our lives into old age and through illness there, there are things that we need to have there are th- certain things we need to acquire the the, the the reality of acquiring that which protects us because we live in a world of danger and, and difficulty we live in a world where we need to be fed and nourished and and so we need to acquire certain realities of of daily sustenance and, and food and and i would even go further reading what the apostle paul said uh, and and he was addressing some rich people through, through Timothy, he says, well, God has actually given you, given them everything to enjoy. So it's okay, it's okay, it's right. You have the desire, a legitimate desire to acquire. I also believe that the Bible shows us, just in terms of who we are as people, the legitimate desire to succeed. God has purposes. Uh, God has put us here in this world to achieve something. We're not just meandering along with our purpose or meaning. We're to do the will of God. We're to accomplish His purposes. We're to fulfill all that He intends for each one as an individual with the particular talents and gifts in place to serve Him and to glorify Him. I love Ephesians 2.10. I think I quote it almost every week. We're twice created in His image. We are His workmanship. Why? created in Christ Jesus for good works. So this this success, there's achievement, there's this purpose. If a man we were reminded just was it yesterday, Friday at a at a pastor's fraternal that we ought to speak to our congregations more regularly on legitimacy of the desire of sex it's okay, it's not just something dirty out there, or something corrupt that we uh, uh, frown upon and, and, and resist. No! In the very beginning, the legitimate desire for sex. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 28, God blessed them, that is Adam and Eve, and said to them, be fruitful and multiply gave them the desire for each other that they ought to express and therefore the the consequence of multiple generations thereafter. And and it continues, the, the desire to produce from that very verse and to subdue it, that is the earth, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So the desire to produce. So I want us to see at the beginning of this message God has given you legitimate desires. And you ought to respond to those desires. You ought to express those desires. Every good and perfect gift is from above. God has given us this. He has entrusted you to us. We ought to be stewards under Him and for Him to take care and manage them for the Master. So we have God-given legitimate desires. But we have a problem. We have a problem. It's a problem that has been passed onto us from our first parents. We have inherited corrupted desires. That is, is this distortion, this corruption. And, and again, we go back to the book of Genesis, which helps us understand this. Uh, Eve, taking the forbidden fruit, she coveted it. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She didn't eat that because she just thought the fruit looked nice, like it was a nice mango or peach, I don't know. She admired it because Satan had tempted her to envy that she could be like God. She wasn't satisfied with the way in which God had made them and and given to them a place and and a responsibility and a life in the garden. She was dissatisfied. She was discontent. She thought she would be like God. And ever since then, we too have been sinning. So with the uh, dedication this morning, uh, I thought think of a bunch of kids Levi's age together in a playroom next door, perhaps in the cry room. Nothing arouses a child's interest in a toy, you know, like seeing it in the hands of another child. They, they can be content and peaceful and there's, uh, Until somebody else picks up a toy, and then there's a transition that takes place in a two-year-old, a three-year-old, from coveting to stealing. Isn't the same for us? I shared with this congregation years ago when there was a program on TV. Carol used to love watching this thing on a Friday night showing all these elaborate houses. I can't even remember what the program was called with Michael Mole. And uh, man, I hated watching that program because I was content until I sat down to watch the program. Because, well, why didn't I have that house? Why couldn't I enjoy that kind of lifestyle? And so it's like that with us. Everything seems fine and peaceful and in order. And then, just to see something or even think of something. And in a flash, in a flash, twinge of disappointment, comprehending that someone else has got something we don't have, and now we want it. Many things we covered, things that others have, and this commandment mentions some of them, various forms, property, houses, servants, livestock. But I, mean, I don't think today we're too interested in donkeys. Uh, but the commandment applies. We are tempted to cover things like newer cars, bigger houses. I think high-tech television, big screen. Is it extra high definition now? I'm not even sure. Uh, Smart. Uh, Clothing, designer labels on their clothing, appliances. I mean, I struggle with my younger daughter. I can speak about her because she's not here now. (laughs) Do you know, do you know that I had to, or she had to acquire because I wasn't prepared to, she wanted a snag kettle for her room. Not a pick and pay kettle. Now, none of you know about SMEG, just have a look next time you go to Pick and Pay and see how much SMEG costs. Electronic gadgets. And, and so, forth. the mist is endless. It could be endless for your neighbor's wife or husband. The way they look. Why, why doesn't my spouse look like he or she does? Or, or, or temperament. Or, or their vocational success. Or... So the items on this list in this uh, commandment are not exhaustive because it ends with the words, or anything else that is your neighbor's. So to go back to what I spoke of last week and to use the analogy of the weed, you see, these inherited corrupted desires produce in us the sinful weed of discontent. We, We are dissatisfied often with what God has given us. And so this takes us another step forward to my next point. It points to the fact that we have an internal, each one of us have an internal spiritual problem. Now, if like you noticed, I deliberately read the Ten Commandments today because the, nine, the first nine commandments generally start with condemning upward action. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. When you get now, that implies there's an internal problem, I, and we looked at that as we moved through that. However, when we get to the tenth commandment, it starts the other way round. Starts on the inside. The tenth commandment addresses what we want to do. It's coming from within before what we do. And so, I believe uh, God, by His Spirit. Designing the structure of the Ten Commandments, confirming to us with this last commandment that we need to understand there is an inner spiritual problem that needs to be addressed. Remember, remember the rich man that came to Jesus asking about, uh, eternal life. And, and Jesus saying, well, that you kept the commandments. And, and he rattles off of a whole bunch of commandments and then, uh, Jesus says, well go and sell all you have and, and give to the poor. And, and, and the point being made in that context it's so easy particularly for professing believers or religious people to say legalistically I've never murdered anybody I've never committed adultery with another uh, man or woman's wife and, 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 and so uh, boosted them, boosted themselves up in self-righteous deception this commandment pops that bubble because it speaks to the inner motives and desires of the heart It penetrates the inner recess of the heart So this this commandment Convinces us That we are sinners We people are sinful people All of us Not just the sin of discontent Doesn't stand alone Because it leads to all sorts of Other so it, Isn't it true that when you feel discontent I certainly uh, happy to confess this morning That sometimes I feel shortchanged what, what I me? Mean? Dissatisfied. It's a sin. I'm grateful to God, I'm grateful to God so often for what He's given you or me, but sitting back and, and expressing ingratitude because of discontent, and, and, and sadly when, when ingratitude goes even further, it takes us down a spiral of bitterness toward God and, and anger, and it may even lead to someone becoming a thief or an adulterer or a murderer. I do need to say also that sometimes the sum of discontent is blatant, obvious. But sometimes it's subtle. But the point I want to make this morning and, 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 and that we need to see, it always leads to a destructiveness. It hurts, it damages relationship with God, relationship with people, and and even our own personal lives. Let me quote an old author, and and it's old language over here, forgive me for that, but Thomas Watson. He says, as a ferryman, taking a barge across the river, as a ferryman takes in so many passages to increase his fare, that he sinks his boat. So, a covetous man takes in so much gold to increase his estate that he drowns himself in perdition. So the internal spiritual problem cannot be ignored. The wages of sin is death. And so my second major point in this message this morning, dear friends, is learn, learn to be content. So important, so important. And I'm going to switch to a New Testament passage now where we get some, I think, greater teaching or insight into learning to be content. The Apostle Paul was a man who faced a variety of difficult circumstances. His life was not smooth, it was bumpy, there were bends in the road, he was persecuted, he was thrown into prison. In fact, he writes from prison to the Philippian church and he tells them, Philippians 4 verse 11, I have learned... In whatever situation I am To be content This word Autarkes Is the Greek word And I'm deliberately saying it this morning Because it should remind you Of, an, of a few English words Autarkes is the word Where we get our word Autonomous auto, Autonomous Independent or we get our word, word automatic. some of you have automatic cars you don 't have to change gears so that 's where this word uh, or these words come from this uh, uh, Greek word that actually means entirely self sufficient in that context. Now remember Paul is writing in a Greek uh, context in a world uh, where a lot of influence from, from the Greek world was present and, and, and it 's a word that indicated a state of mind that a person could be independent of all things and all people. So, not what Paul taught, now I'm going to tell you what the Greeks taught. They proposed to reach that kind of state of independence of people and things by conditioning people via the mind. So, they proposed to eliminate all desire. Let me quote. If you want to make a man happy, not to his possessions, but take away from his desires. That was the uh, wisdom that they offered. So they believed that the only way to contentment was to abolish desire. A person had to get to a stage where nothing or no one was essential to him. So so it led to another step. They proposed, one of the Stoic philosophers uh, proposed to eliminate all emotion. How do you eliminate emotion? Well, they had some thoughts. Uh, get to a stage where, where you simply don't care to your, about what happens to you or to anybody else. Let me quote uh, a Greek stoic philosopher by the name of, and I hope I pronounce this right, Epictetus. He said, this is what you do. If you want some advice from the Greeks, don't take it, but listen anyway. Begin with a cup or a household utensil. If it breaks to say, I don't care. Go to your horse or pet dog. And if anything happens, say, I don't care. If you go on long enough, you'll come to a stage where even if your nearest and dearest suffer and die, you'll react with, I don't care. I thought that's not what Paul is suggesting. It's not at all what he's suggesting. Because if you look at the context of Philippians 4, follows the, the, the verse I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content with the verse 13 I can do all things through him who strengthens me so contentment is not autonomy or independence contentment is not training your mind to believe in you're a robot or you're some kind of statue or perhaps you've got thick skin It's not as the pagans suggested, that somehow you have a concentrated effort of desensitizing yourself and becoming less than human. It's the opposite. Contentment is not about emptying yourself. That's the wisdom of Paul. Contentment, instead, must have its cause and focus in another other than yourself. And that other is Jesus the person. It's about immersing your life in the person of Christ. Not just immersing your life in the life of the church. No. In the person of Christ. It is to believe what Jesus said to the woman at the well. Remember that passage? John chapter 4 verse 13. Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty. The water that I give him will well up in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. It's the believe what Jesus said to the crowds after the feeding of the 5,000. John chapter 6, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So I try to put that in a single sentence to, to try and help us uh, think about this as we go away. Dear friends, contentment is found in worship. Discontent in idolatry. Say that again. Contentment is found in worship. We are creatures made to worship God. Discontent takes you along the pathway of the lie of alive the devil and it leads to idolatry. A couple of examples that I could think of anyway, it's to be satisfied with God. Like Asaph, if you know Psalm 73, a man who struggled, he struggled with the question of the goodness of God, but when he got through that struggle, he learned the lesson, and he expressed it so well, whom have I in heaven but you? Fuck, what do you have other than God? Well, if you don't have God, what do you really have? It will all pass away. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Then I thought of Daniel. Remember Daniel in the Old Testament? Uh, His circumstances became rather unpleasant. But is to be to be content is to be like Daniel in being satisfied with what God brings about or God provides. And and why? Why? Because Daniel says it in Daniel chapter 2, verse 20. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong what is what belongs to God? Wisdom and might. Folk, I don't understand many things in this life, I want to tell you. But I stand on the fact that God is all wise. And so therefore that which he brings about, that which he allows, you can trust him because he is all wise It's to be satisfied in knowing Jesus. That's to sum up the point. Like Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So thirdly, my last two points are a little bit shorter. Taking the first step. Uh, How does one practically go forward? Well, learning is a process that has a starting point. Important. And that verb that he uses over there helps us to see that there is a starting point. And the starting point for Paul was his conversion. Became a believer. A believer in Jesus. Became born again. Became a new creature in Christ. And, and what happened in that process? There's a turning, a turning of his life around from self-absorption and accomplishment to be consumed by Christ. Well-known passage, and it's a long passage, I don't know if I want to read it all, but, uh, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. For the sake of Christ. You get the sentiment here? There's a change after the starting point. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Who is He? He's God eternal and glorious and majestic. For His sake I've suffered the loss of all things. You, you get the point here? To be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that which comes through faith. Christ. And, And so the important question this morning, if you're addressing the issue of dissatisfaction and you're feeling discontent in your life, the first step that you need to take, the first question you need to ask yourself is, have you taken the first step to address the sin of the inner spiritual problem of your life? Are you converted? Have you confessed your need before God? Have you seen Him to be a holy God? You see yourself as a sinful person who apart from the saving work of Jesus, you're lost, placing your trust in Him. I was going to end my message there until I stumbled on a poem. It's a poem that I am going to end on and i I want to preface the poem with this admonition. Don't waste your life, dear friend. Don't waste your life wallowing in discontent. I was once young and now I'm old. The years pass by very quickly. Listen to this poem quoted by Chuck Swindoll. It was spring, but it was summer that I wanted. The warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall that I wanted. The colorful leaves, the cool, dry air. It was fall, but it was winter that I wanted. The beautiful snow and the joy of holiday season. It was winter, but it was spring I wanted. The warmth and blossoming of nature. I was a child, and it was adulthood I wanted. To be matured, sophisticated. I was middle aged, but it was twenty I wanted the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle age that I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. My life was over and I never got what I wanted. Lord, I pray that that would not be true for any of us. May you even this morning, Lord, open our eyes to see the privilege, the majesty, the glory of knowing you as you have designed and made us to be to relate to You, to walk with You, to know You as our Father, to know the reality of Your wisdom and Your grace and Your kindness and Your goodness, to know, Lord, that life has meaning and significance here, but forever and ever. And so, even among us this morning, we pray again by Your Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.